Hi, I'm Tony. And I'm Patrick. And welcome to uh, Cave to the Cross Apologetics, where we look at uh, various uh, books on theology and philosophy and and even science and, and talk through them. Today, we're going to continue our discussion on how to be an atheist, right? By, yeah. Uh, Mitch uh, Stokes. And uh, we have worked our way to uh, chapter five in this book, and Stokes is working is helping us to understand what um, um, science, basically, he's, this book is uh, broken down into two sections, science on science and then on ethics. And so we're working our way through the science um, portion. And his thesis is that he doesn't think that atheists are skeptical enough or at least consistently skeptical. Right, consistent is, is the big key. There, yeah, yeah, with regard to their ideas. Right. right. Yeah, we don't want to be too skeptical where we're not allowing anything to to come to the forefront of right. knowledge because then we just get an impasse. But we also don't want to believe everything because then a lot of the bad stuff gets in. So yeah. he, he asks for a sober skeptic. So, yeah, that's right. Sober skepticism. Yeah. Check yeah. and ver- verify. <laughs> so in Chapter 5 here, this is entitled Photoshopped Science. And the basic idea here is he's, he's going to tell us about two... Uh, events in the history of science, beginning with Hume, and then later in the 20th century with the logical positivist, and and, and uh, he's going to suggest that they perceive science as too pristine, too pure, too uh, sterile, right? Too he's going to say photoshopped, <laughs> and it's and then in the yeah. next chapter he's going to show why it's a little messier mm-hmm. than what they thought uh, it was, yeah. and so. Uh, so that's you know that's where he's headed uh, to, to in this particular chapter. Um, so the first thing that he does is we're back to our good friend David Hume again. Yes, of right? course. And um, he says, remember that uh, according to Hume, all knowledge is grounded in sense perception. Mm-hmm. In other words, Hume is what's called was what we call an empiricist. He believed that you know knowledge came from our senses. Our you know, seeing and hearing and touching and all that kind of stuff. That's that was the basis of knowledge. But he he makes a disti- he, he makes a distinction that Hume does that there was really kind of two kinds or types of uh, source uh, of knowledge here. He says, according to Hume, matters of fact must be grounded in sense experience. So that's one kind of of knowledge, matters of fact, right? That is, any contingent truth about the world, anything that's not simply true by definition or otherwise necessary. You know, so for instance, um, there's grass outside, Mm -hmm. right? It's a matter of fact. It's, It's something true about the world, but it's contingent. It doesn't necessarily have to be true. You could have just, you know, the house could have just been built and so there's no dirt because it hasn't been planted yet. And there, I mean, there's no grass because it hasn't been planted yet. And so there's just dirt outside, mm-hmm. right? So a matter of fact is something that is empir- that we verify empirically. It's a, it's a fact about the world, right? On the other side, Hume uh, says that there is another kind of knowledge that he calls relation of ideas, mm-hmm. right? And so the idea here is that uh, we c- these are things that we can know without appealing to our sense experience, right? We know these by, really, by definition. Right. Right? Um, so red objects are 
colored objects or two plus two is four. Mm-hmm. Those types of things are relation of ideas, right? We yeah. don't have to we don't have to go out and double check to make sure that two plus two is four <laughs> by going out in the world and saying, Okay, let's start counting and double <laughs> yeah. check. And making part. sure that every time <laughs> two and add two is <laughs> yeah. four. Yeah, these these are kind of the a priori things like uh, you know, uh, there's no such thing as a married bachelor. That's right. Or, right. or all bachelors are un- unmarried men. Yeah, or something like that. Yeah, yep. yeah. So he says these. This distinction then between matters of facts and relation of ideas is what is what's come to be called Hume's fork. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so it takes either one of two paths. Either it's a sense perception or it's a relational um, uh, of ideas. Right. So right. If, it, if it doesn't fit in those, you're off, you're off the fork. And yeah, you're, yeah. You're not being devoured. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. You're not being devoured yeah. by knowledge. Yeah, right? exactly. Right. In other words, if it doesn't fit in those, you should forget about it and move on. Mm-hmm. Right? And we'll see a quote from Hume that uh, rather eloquently uh, puts that uh, puts that together for us. Right. All right, and so what? Uh, the, part of what uh, Hume was doing then was this, uh, what he calls uh, this um, doodling with words is what Hume was <laughs> trying to get after, right? That he didn't want us to be able to do that. It's a criteria not merely for what we can know, but also for separating sense from nonsense, mm-hmm. right? In other words, if anything wasn't these types of knowledge, uh, you know, empirical matters of fact or you know, we might say mathematical or something like that, logical, definitional relation of ideas, then it wasn't worth pursuing, right? It wasn't, it wasn't worth pursuing. According to Hume, all matters of facts have ultimately, they ultimately connect with the world to be meaningful. Um, and relation of ideas need not submit to the test of connect, connecting with the world, but it, but that's only because they're meaningful by definition. Mm-hmm. So notice now we've thrown in this idea of meaningfulness. Mm-hmm. So the so what we're going to see in the 20th century is this is going to become big, right? Because the logical positivists are going to jump on this and say there are certain things that are are statements that are meaningful and those that are not meaningful, right? And Hume kind of blazes the trail here with this distinction between matters of fact and relation of ideas. And so he says philosophers are often ridiculed for uh, doodling with words and rightly so. They're prone to analyze language in excruciating detail, getting bogged down in pedantic quagmires. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so those are our two paths and there is... um, there is no medium. There is no. Uh, there is nothing right. in between. There's just either empirical science, which is the matter of facts, or it's the realm of mathematics yeah. relationship to ideas. That gives us knowledge. Mm-hmm. That's, right. the, that's the source of our knowledge, right? And so Hume then can uh, he suggests use this as as a weapon for for, for uh, helping us to, to to get. In fact, here's a famous quote from uh, the book by Hume on an inquiry concerning human understanding. This is what Hume tells us with regard to this these two areas. He says, "When we run over libraries persuaded of these principles, what havoc must we make? If we take in our hand any volume of divinity." Or school metaphysics, for instance, let us ask, does it contain any abstract reasoning concerning quantity or number? No. Does it contain any experimental reasoning concerning matter of fact and existence? No. Commit it to the flames, for it can contain nothing but sophistry 
an illusion. Yeah. Yeah, we, we only have a little amount of time. We should be concerned with just the facts, ma'am. Yeah. A, a Joe Friday. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, and anything else is just, well, how many angels can dance on the head of the pin? Uh, you know, okay, you can have your fun outside of this, but we're doing science that's here. That's right. Serious business yeah. is what we're yeah. after. So just we're, the facts, ma'am. We're, we're, we're cold, logical, lethargic people who <laughs> are, are in our lab coats, and all we're doing is test, experiment, recheck, uh, publishing, we just wanted to keep it to those two areas because anything else doesn't really get you anything. What's the nature of the soul? Uh, you know, is is um, does God is, exist? Is, yeah, does God exist? Does does uh, you know? Is he the the big mover of all things? We we don't care about any of that. We it's just not a care. matter of fact that we can verify empirically, mm -hmm. nor is it true by definition. Committed to the flame, right? Yeah, <laughs> so so nice. Yeah, thank you, uh, Hume. <laughs> So Hume had an agenda, and he says, of course, don't we all, right? Part of this agenda was to remove metaphysics and theology from the list of acceptable academic practices. Yeah, he right? wants to get rid of philosophy almost altogether. Yeah. Because of, I mean, they really haven't done much for him in the way until Newton comes along. He's a big fan of Newton. Newton not only gives him uh, kind of the science of it, so the, the, um, the, the, with the abstract reasoning, but then, or the experimental reasoning, but then uh, he also gives them the science. So creating uh, essentially um, uh, uh, calculus, yeah, uh, just yeah. just just because he needed to. Yeah, that's right. I need uh, calculus yeah. to help me explain yeah. gravity. Yeah, so just I'll this one calculus. problem, yeah. recreate yeah. calculus. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and and so th there's the the um, the uh, the relational. Uh, um, uh, so the relation of, of ideas, ideas. Yeah. 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 So, so he's really trying to harp back on this uh, Newtonian revolution of yeah. Of so, what science. he notice what he's trying to do is he's saying Newton and company has have given us a model of how we can gain knowledge, mm -hmm. and so he wants to take that model now and apply it in in philosophy and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. He doesn't necessarily throw out philosophy, but metaphysics and that kind of stuff he's going to yeah. It doesn't really get you much. It, it you know you can't experiment with yeah. you know where's the soul? What's the, what's the nature of you know. Uh, um, the uh, the little gremlins that move the <laughs> gears in the clock, uh -huh. N none of that really gets you anywhere. So we should just throw it out and and uh, again this this photoshopness of of having it be a uh, a cold calculating perfect system where you you plug in your numbers, you plug in your observations, and outcomes either uh, a, a one or a zero. So right. that, that's what that's what. Uh, uh, Stokes is trying to get to with this this title of Photoshop science of saying oh it's just this perfect system and and Hume is trying to refine it down to these two systems that get you information and these are the only ways that they do it right yeah good so this received tradition he says basically from, <laughs> from Hume is that of a cold sterile steely science and of course the story of this tradition is really the story of the twentieth century and so now what he take well, what he does here is he moves from Hume and he moves to the early 20th century like you know in the 1920s and so forth and to the what's uh, been called the logical positivists or the logical empiricists right so these were a group of mainly German-speaking um, um, uh, philosophers, you know, and philosophically, uh, philosophical, uh, philosophically, philosophically minded uh, science, uh, uh, scientists, and uh, they were then 
they they pick up on what Hume was doing in the seventeen of uh, the mid seventeen hundreds, right? Yeah, they're kind of like <clears throat> his uh, apostles. They they he they took his work and wanted to move it further down the road of of what it was uh, initially doing. So um, he he uh, Hume was okay with separating the the newfound science from philosophy and theology. Um, the logical positives come in and kind of clean house and, yeah. and kind of have a, a, a litmus test of uh, if, if you have any of these ideas of metaphysics or, or, or some type of theology, you need to be driven from <laughs> the ivory towers yeah, so that we can establish yeah, yeah. so that we yeah. can establish because, this new order. Because you're, you're, you're treading uh, in meaningless gobbledygook, right? <laughs> right? So they band together and uh, their, um, their group uh, you know, at least the most famous portion of these groups was called the Vienna Circle, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so, um, um, and it, it's interesting, they do move uh, both, uh, one would suggest they move philosophy down the road a bit, right? They uh, invent, for all practical purposes, symbolic logic, right? Yeah, Beginning which with you, I mean, you, so you learn in, yeah. in, uh, still today in, in, in um, deductive logic classes and uh, you know your syllogisms and all the fun little things that you have to do, um, but it's it's helpful because it it helps to clarify or it it, it kind of puts a mathematical spin on language and right. tries to to show uh, through a a um, representational letter um, logic process how uh, argumentation uh, is occurring. So you can kind of see uh, where you're making your mistakes without having to kind of look at the argumentation you're just concerned with the representation form and the structure mm -hmm. of the argument yeah. so you can look at the form and structure you can outline the form and structure yeah. symbolically right right and then that'll tell you whether or not you have a you know we might say a uh, a valid uh argument mm -hmm. right which if if you like algebra and then philosophy <laughs> the, i mean that's the way to go so yeah. i I, it, I really took a dart once i uh, found a book that, uh, in fact, that you had. I had, had th thrown out the the book that uh, I was supposed to learn from, and I used your <laughs> book. But uh, th that's the one that uh, that that I, I liked, and I was like, oh, this is just algebra with with philosophy. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. that's the pairing of two geeky things for me. That was great. So. Um and so that's where the logical positivists got us, right? They got us to this symbolic logic, and they suggested that uh, they realized that um, they were in a situation not unlike Hume, right? Um, their discontent with philosophy, Stokes tells us, was indeed a major factor in the scientific revolution that happened around that time. Now, also, yeah. there were lots of things going on. We're talking about Einstein's theory of general mm -hmm. relativity and all that kind of stuff was beginning to, we might say, blow up. Yeah, right? yeah, almost literally. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and quantum mechanics and, and that sort of thing, Yeah. right? Hey, you, you, were, you were going from a Newtonian understanding to a, a little bit later than than probably the 20s 30s but um, I mean you had kind of the uh, understanding of what um, an atom was and the whole uh, Einstein versus uh, a Bohr um, kind of <laughs> rivalry would yeah. probably put it. it it was kind of the uh, the interesting time of science because then you had kind of the powerhouses trying to trying to outdo each other and and you had your camps and stuff like that and I don't think you really have that these days but uh, <laughs> but that that was the boxing matches before uh, you know Hitler um, divided the the world and we, you know we didn't hear from Germany until yeah <laughs> way till, later till a little later yeah. yeah all right but he says uh, here um, a significant part of the problem with philosophy. 
uh, said the logical positive was positivist was that uh, philosophers had been bewitched by language, right? That was the issue, language. And uh, he says that he's, he's mentioned earlier, and we're now in a place where we can see that philosophers said the logical, uh, philosophers said the logical positivists had become preoccupied with problems that weren't problems at all. They were pseudo problems, <laughs> right? And so they were looking uh, they were um, uh, the things that philosophers, especially metaphysicians, were involved in, weren't really problems at all. They were playing games with language, and so the logical positivists wanted to move in with this clarifying logical approach, right, uh, to help uh, wade through all of this, all of this playing games with language mm-hmm. that they thought the metaphysicians. Um, we're going we're, we're doing in fact he gives us um, what he calls one of the most notorious uh, notorious cases is from Heidinger's what is metaphysics <laughs> and of course we, we gotta you know we gotta um, at least quote a portion of this so that folks understand this is the kind of things that the logical that logical positivists railed against cringed when they heard it, mm-hmm. right? Became angry and banging their fist on yeah. the ground. What do you mean? What are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> yeah, so uh, this this is an in- interesting quote. It's, uh, what is to be investigated is being only and nothing else, being alone and further nothing, solely being and beyond being nothing. What about this nothing? Does the nothing exist only because the not, i.e. the negation exists? Or is it the other way around? Does negation and the not exist because the nothing exists? And it goes on further and says uh, things like, indeed, the nothing itself as such was present. What about this nothing? The nothing itself, nothings. There you go. So let's talk about nothing. Very clear. Yeah. 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 And what is nothing? <laughs> yeah. And what do we mean by nothing? Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah. Well, the nothing itself is nothing. All right. So now we have some knowledge. We have something? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and, and it's interesting because Krauss is kind of one of these, these people that we looked at uh, two episodes ago where... He also wants to talk about nothing, but when he says nothing, he does mean something. Right. So it seems like we, we've gone back the other direction where uh, pretty soon it's going to be the uh, the Christians that are going to be burning nothing in effigy. So, so uh, yeah. it, it, it's it, right. You can you can read this quote and see where where these people were getting frustrated at when when you're having this discussion where you're having to pull in fifth negations in sentences in order to understand when they have this structure that they're trying to implement that has, you know, a, a logic, a mathematical feel to it, um, that they're trying to derive information. They're not trying to uh, woo the crowd with um, uh, tricks of phrases or, or getting lost in, you know, where everything is at. They, they are, they're, they're putting an end to even that. Mm-hmm. And again, creating these, the, like the syllogisms and stuff like that, really trying to bring in, a mathematical, logical approach that kind of slows the the, the language por- portion of it and, and, and brings more of the science factor into Yeah, so that's really, you know, the idea here is that philosophy was, as uh, Mitch uh, Stokes tells us, was trucking in meaningless language, right? The obvious cure, said the logical positivist, was to use something like Hume's fork, his criteria of meaning. They said that a statement is meaningful if it don't, if it had two particular uh, ways, similar to what uh, Hume said, right? Mm-hmm. If, number one, it can be empirically checked or verified. Can we check it? Can we check the statement against our experience, our empirical experience, right? Or verify it 
in that, that, that there's an existence of it in the world. And secondly, so empirical verification or empirically checked. And secondly, it's a matter of definition or uh, analytic, right? So these two conditions correspond to Hume's matters of fact and relation of ideas. The first condition underwrites science, empirical, empirical verification, while the second, he tells us, license licenses mathematics and logic mm -hmm. right that is uh, a matter of definition or analytic, right. right so uh you know <clears throat> saying something the the that the car cannot be both on the street and in the garage uh would be a logical um uh statement that gets you the the non-contradiction law of non-contradiction -contra mm -hmm. but you're not playing with the words of well you know the the car has this state of being where it could be in 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 the garage but then uh, we know that nothing is outside the garage with the car and so you're 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 not getting into this kind of uh, uh, trope of of saying a, a, a bunch of um, useless uh, complication gobbledygook because right, that's essentially right. what they call it right um, where where it's just a straightforward Th this is the logical law that we're applying to or the mathematical law or a definition of terms so you don't have to to um, um, you know talk about all the things that the circle isn't you can say the circle has no sides and 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 continue to clarify you know what the definition of a circle is so. right right so these two notions then are the uh, you know empirical verification mm -hmm. And the um, the idea of matters of definition are are then what they say helps us to eliminate the meaninglessness mm -hmm. with regard to language, especially in metaphysics and theology. By the way, so he he says that, um, that then they use this as a language as a uh, as a weapon right. in the same way that Hume uses his distinction as a weapon. Right, the logical positivist version of Hume's work was known as the verifiability criterion. Mm -hmm. And it became a, a fearful weapon wreaking havoc, <laughs> as you might say, right, among philosoph uh, philosophy departments throughout Europe and America. The verifiable verifiability um, criteria convinced a significant portion of the academic community that traditional philosophy, what the logical positivists called metaphysics, was dead, mm -hmm. right? It was over with. It was just a game with language, and it was meaningless, and so we don't need to do that anymore. Right? Right. We can throw that out. And, of course, uh, theology oftentimes is part of the uh, area of metaphysics, and so you can throw out uh, theology and, uh, as well because, again, is it empirically? Are those questions empirically issues, empirically verifiable? No. Are they true by definition? No. Well, you know, as Hume would say, commit them to the flames. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. This this gets rid of the God God of the gap or um, anything where you're 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 using God did it or um, the, the Satan did it or you know wh whatever the the little little demons in the clock make it yeah. uh, you know slow down and that's why you have to wind it back up again um, so it's <laughs> it's it's removing all that and just looking for uh, either a, a visual observation that uh, can be can be um, uh, displayed to others and they can go out and do similar experiments or check the findings or uh, it's a matter of definition where you're uh, applying key definition or logic to um, uh, discovering new things through 
the use of that logic. Yeah, and so he gives us a uh, an example here. He says that mm-hmm. the uh, the logical positivists were more philosophically uh, Spartan than even Hume, <laughs> yeah. right? And so he says, take for example the problem of the external world. Now most people would not see the external world as a problem. Yeah. Right? They would <laughs> see that as a, the answer. Uh, unless right? you're a philosopher, yeah, then right. you see it as a problem. Yeah. <laughs> so notice, all right, so the problem of what is that? So whereas Hume believed it to be a genuine philosophical problem, right? That is, you know, how do we verify or does the external world exist and how do we how do we come to the conclusion that it does? How do we argue for that? So whereas Hume believed uh, the is this to be a genuine uh, genuine problem, one that uh, revealed um, real and troubling limitations on human knowledge, the logical positivist dismissed the problem of the external world, right? Is there an external world and how do we argue for it? Um, as a pseudo-problem, right? Merely disguised as substantive uh, philosophy. And so... You know, after all, there's no empirical difference, and this is the key point, mm-hmm. right? There's no empirical, that is, physically, sensory, uh, uh, a way to examine. There's no empirical difference between a matrix-type scenario and the ordinary world, right? So the question is, are we living in a matrix, or is this the ordinary world? Well, the logical positive says there's no empirical difference. There's no way to determine the difference. If you're in the matrix or in the ordinary world, they're both our physical, our sense perceptions are doing the same types of things, right? right? And so since that's the case, uh, according to empiricism, we can't rationally choose between the two. The logical positives then said that there's there's no problem. In other words, they both scenarios are logically equivalent, Mm -hmm. both the matrix scenario and the ordinary physical real world are logically equivalent, and so there's no problem. Man, where would physics be without the matrix? (laughs) Because you can can think of this as one of two ways. If if you're kind of the traditional um, philosopher, you want to say, well, it does make a difference. Like, look look at what the the matrix says is uh, we care about being in the real world, and uh, we care about being in this dystopian uh, world where we're scrounging and we're eating, uh, you know, porridge, and, mm-hmm. and that's the real world, and that's what we care about, and we took the red pill. But at the same time, uh, you know, if, if if you die in the matrix, you die in the real world, it doesn't matter if the bullets are real or not. They're, they still have the same... Uh, the, you having a bullet in the matrix is just the same as having it in the real world and it it, it doesn't matter so if they're it's a computer logically program. equivalent yeah. right yeah death yeah so death or running into the tree you know you still bump into something uh when you're fighting somebody you're you, you can fight them in the real world or in the matrix it doesn't matter so if the outcome is the same that little portion of is this reality is something that it doesn't it doesn't bring you anything Different, Right. It doesn't add yeah. to, to anything. Right. Yeah. And so uh, Stokes tells us, so instead of solving this problem of the external world, uh, the logical positivist uh, dissolves it, yeah. is what he says. Yeah. Right. And of course, you know, knowing uh, Stokes, he has to quip about that. Right? So his quip <laughs> is, you'd be, uh, you'd be excused entirely if you think they merely swept it under the world. Yes. Right. right. <laughs> So logical positive also convinced most of the academic philosophy that any reference to God is literal nonsense. They regulated all moral discourse as well, right? Murder is wrong. 
is merely expresses our emotions about we don't like murder, right? Mm. Bad murder, right? <laughs> I don't like it, you know. Uh, so religious and ethical discourse say nothing true or false about the world. Uh, and so it was meaningless. Scientific and mathematical discourse, on the other hand, are not only meaningful, but... Uh, the surest way to uh, genuine knowledge. So religious and ethical discourse are meaningless mm -hmm. because they don't say anything true about the world. They're, they're, you can't verify them empirically, and they're not true by definition. And so it's just like um, Heidegger's uh, expose on nothingness. They are meaninglessness right. with regard to what they yeah. tell us. You right? can continue to talk about nothing outside of there, but... We now control the uh, the the the, uh, the hearts and minds of the, the future generations of scientists and philosophers. Right. And yeah, so, so the the rational positives are are, are like uh, we we could liken it to Spock, but m more so because Spock had a ha half human side, and so th <laughs> there were elements where uh, you know the unrational part tend to creep in. That's right. Sneak uh, in. Yeah. Pop up its yeah. head a little bit. But more. but the you know and and it, it's it's really fun always going through old Star Trek, the best Star Trek. And 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 picking that out and saying, well, you know, is is burning the last bit of fuel to to hopefully in the in the hopes of of uh, alerting the the Enterprise that they're adrift in space, or would have have been better to to live for three hours longer by continuing on. Well, then you go. Was that a a um, a kind of a, a hopeful shot of faith and? You know, or act of desperation, or was it the most logical thing to do? Right. And so here they would they would say, uh, it's it, there, there's no faith, there's no this this was the, the out of the all the options, this was the most logical thing to do, and um, it got a desired outcome. So uh, it, it even if God exists, whether or not God pointed the Enterprise at the exact same spot to see the trail that alerted them to the shuttlecraft being. Uh, uh, out of fuel, then it, it doesn't matter because uh, assuming God doesn't get you anywhere in, right, in that in right. that type of argument. Yeah, right. Although we would want to argue against that, <laughs> and so th there is arguments that that we will get into, uh, just uh, not uh, completely in this chapter. Right, and so he says their positive or constructive project was to study the rational methods of science, right, which included logic and mathematics as tools in hopes of limiting mm -hmm. the pursuit of truth to those methods. So we only, if we want to get at truth, we only look at, you know, logic and mathematics, that is those scientific types of things that they said, right? Philosophy, according to the logical positives, was, was uh, limited to, to these two projects and nothing else. So if you were doing philosophy according to the logical positivists, you're only doing logic, mathematics, and that sort of empirical verification stuff like that, right? Mm -hmm. So this became the known as the analytical school in philosophy. Right. Right. And so metaphysics was kind of pushed to the side. Yeah. And so for a large part of the 20th century, at least the beginning of the 20th century, you know, uh, in phil uh, philosophy departments, uh, they kind of split. And so you could study comparative religion, but not religion as a philosophy mm -hmm. discipline, right? And so religion and uh, uh, questions about the, you know, God and that sort of thing, faith, all those types of things were pushed out of the the academy to a certain extent, anyway. Mm -hmm. And so the only way you get it is to study comparative religion, right? <laughs> but but there's it's no yeah. philosophical, and that's issues. more of a, of a, a social. Uh, 
um, you're, you're looking at people groups and, and their belief systems and how it impacts the world or uh, the culture or the society. You're not really, you know, you're not really saying, um, you know, the, the, the religion of Thor, um, <laughs> you know, is, is bringing about uh, a truth claim. Right. You're just saying, you know, those who believe in Thor tend to uh, war and rape and kill because <laughs> they're going to be rewarded uh, as, as warriors, um, you know. Nothing at, against at the, Thor, at the, at the end. Nothing against Well, not, yeah, not the new <laughs> Thor, the, the new loving, kind of Thor. The, the, old, the Old Testament Thor is yeah. the, the mean Thor. That's so, right, yeah. that's right. Not the New Testament <laughs> Thor. So great. So, so the logical positivists come in, they clean everything up, and, and we're good to go. And that's the, and that's what happens to science. So, Absolutely, yeah. except there were huge problems with the logical positivists. Oh, man. Yeah, go, go figure, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, seems, it seems ironic here that we get into the 60s and 70s, the, the time of, of cultural revolution that's and right. free Rebellion love and, and drug use, yeah. <laughs> extensive drug use, <laughs> and, and it all seems to fall apart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go figure, right? Logical positivism became harder to maintain during the 60s, 50s and 60s. Uh, there was a there was a problem at its core, Stokes tells us. Sure. And it's the verifiability criteria undermined itself. Yeah. Right? So undermined itself. So what does that mean? Well, here's the issue. What happens when you apply the fair verifiability criteria to itself? Yeah. Yeah. Run run Hume's fork <laughs> through itself. Yeah. Where does it go? Yeah. Right. It doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. It, how can you verify it through your senses? No, well, you can't. Right, you right. can't. Or how do you? And it's develop, not true by definition. Yeah, right, oh, de- develop a truth claim by logic or or anything. It's not. It's not happening. Yeah, and so that means that it was meaningless. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we should throw it out. Yeah. So th- this is what we talk about when we t- when uh, I think uh, episode fifteen w- w- was for us when when we talk about. Uh, a, a worldview has to be consistent within mm. itself. Mm-hmm. If it fails upon its own merits, for example, postmodernism, there are there are no absolute truths. It is an absolute truth claim. It falsifies itself. Yeah. So if it, if if you have a, a right off the bat, if you have a if it's unable to be consistent within itself, it's a sign of a failed argument and should be discarded. A sign of a failed uh, worldview. Yes, right? yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good, yeah. So uh, so there were these types of issues. The requirement, that, the requirement that a meaningful statement must be either empirically verifiable or else a matter of definition is itself neither one of these. And so the verifiability criteria doesn't meet its own requirement. Mm. It eventually, Stokes tells us, imploded right, right? It, it, it caved in on itself yeah. and so the, the 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 best people to to realize that would be the logical positivists mm-hmm. who are going down and i i just imagine you know the the uh the kind of a a, a a renaissance of revolution within itself to try and get who, who is the most logical positivist mm-hmm. person and <laughs> someone says oh i you know uh, I, I don't even do sense claims i only do logic and someone gets <laughs> to the end goes nope Everything is done because we can't even support our own conclusions. That's how logical positivist I am. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> He's the last one standing. Right, and so, so, and so we had guys like uh, Quine, uh, who was an American philosopher, and Thomas Kuhn, who was a, a historian of science, right, uh, began to attack this particular approach. And Kuhn also attacked uh, science and criticized it mm-hmm. with regard to its social implications. Uh, and which we'll see in the next chapter yeah. here, right? Uh, the logical positivists, uh, um, Stokes tells us, 
uh, picture of science turned out to be heavily doctored. Their photoshopped version was pristine and perfect. In fact, it was a little too perfect, eerily smooth and plastic-like. Up close, it didn't look human. Hmm. Right? Hmm. <laughs> and so, uh, and so, it be, you know, it began to unravel. Right, and um, and um, he tells us. Uh, that uh, then in the next chapter he says I'm going to argue that when we do the uh, do take time to look closely at scientific methods those of us who pride ourselves on our no nonsense skeptical stance <laughs> will have good reason to be skeptical about important features of science right yeah. and about the status of current scientific uh, theories now notice he says of course, this claim can be easily misconstrued as saying we should be skeptical of all things science. But that's not what he's saying, right? He says, that's not my point, since that isn't his view. Rather, my point, he says, and he's going to talk to us about this, is that anyone who takes skepticism seriously should also be skeptical about um, the claim that science is somehow in conflict with God's right. existence. Right, right. <clears throat> yeah. So, so uh, again, uh, especially in the next chapter, um, which will probably be two episodes within itself, because uh, there's a lot to unpack there. But it's not the fact that he's um, critiquing the fact that science fails or isn't isn't possible to do. He's he's um, undermining the fact of we have this kind of. Uh, laboratory uh, clean room you know uh, d disinfected <laughs> view of, of science where again it's men in lab coats they're standing around computers with blinking numbers and, or, or, or or titrating their 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 thing and and what what happens from there is okay I, I observe this uh, my theory is is X I do experiment Y I get result Z does it prove my theory Yes, no, okay, no, then I return back and create a new theory and, and do all this again. And it's it's not that it's not that clean. It's not that uh, it's not that simple. Yeah. yeah right? It's yeah. not that it's a whole lot more complicated. Right. right. And I in the next chapter he does a really good job of, of just talking about even even getting to a theory, which you think, oh, okay, well you just come up with kind of the best explanation. Uh, he goes into uh, good development of exactly how scientists come up with theories, stay with theories, check theories, falsify theories, yeah. um, and and you know that's just the, the, the what we would consider the easy part. Mm -hmm. Then it's coming up with all the uh, type of experimentation that right. you do, what you well coming up with the theory itself. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> or, or, or 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 you know how how you test it, how you verify it, um, you know what you allow, what you don't allow, and so uh, the the next chapter is really good. But again, he's not critiquing that you can't do science because even even Christians who hold or, or, or deists who hold to um, uh, the, the, the idea that um, you know the science is the way in which God has ordered things and so we can know that because of who God is so not, not even Christians would would say we don't have the ability to do science um, it's just that we're we're grounded on the fact that the ability to do science is within the framework of of um, of a, of a Christian worldview, yeah. at least from our, our standpoint. And, and it's a human enterprise. And so it has right. all the shortcomings and problems that every human <laughs> enterprise right. has. Right, right. Yeah, and so that's what we'll look at next mm -hmm. time. So that is Chapter 5, Photoshopped Science. He's going to say it, it was on the basis of this, you know, pristine, pure view of what science was all about, which uh, turns out to be not as pristine and pure 
as it was made out to be. Yeah, it, it, it does well for, you know, a couple decades there. But, um, yeah, unfortunately, uh, once you start questioning morality it, it, after after World War II and, uh, you know, you have cultural revolution and, and everything like that, uh, that kind of tends to creep into um, uh, the universities and science as a whole. And, uh, you know, we, we see that even even today. Uh, we're, 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 we're sometimes, um, allowing, uh, different sciences to come into, uh, or I, I guess different studies to come into and try and claim, um, an avenue of science with, uh, gender studies and, and, and kind of the social sciences or, or even, um, having kind of, uh, uh, different takes on science, like having a feminist theory, a Marxist view of science. So science is this uh, understanding that class conflict occurs and, <laughs> and, and you have an understanding of looking at it through that prison, prism, and prison too. Uh, <laughs> um, and so uh, we, we see that science isn't this detached thing. We, 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 we have people at the helm who are the scientists and they're uh, conflicted, they're, they're uh, not always logical, and so having this, again, Photoshop view of science isn't, isn't at all what, what science is. So what does it actually look like? And that's what the next chapter is going to be. Yeah, very good. So thank you for uh, uh, walking, uh, walking with us through this particular chapter, and we look forward to seeing you next time. And uh, have a good day. Yeah, thank you.